0: Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Thank you, Pete Naleish, for reminding us about the strength that Jesus provides when we are at our weakest. We're studying through the book of John in the Bible. This sermon series, we subtitled it, Jesus in Real Life, because we just want you to see what it looks like to follow Jesus in the everyday ups and downs of life. And I'll tell you a little bit about some of the medical training that I got while I was in the Army. When I was in the Ranger Regiment and we were in the global war on terrorism, there were more guys wounded than we had people to patch them up. So every year, a handful of rangers were selected to go through EMT training, would go to a civilian course and would get all of the training, all of the um, medical training that the average EMT tech would get on an ambulance. And I got selected to go through this training. Now, I've been on battlefields before and after this. I've seen a lot of bleeding. But part of that EMT training was to go to one of the major trauma centers in America and spend time in those emergency rooms. And what I learned during EMT training is that for the first 30 seconds to 90 seconds after somebody is a casualty, you have to do what's called the ABCs. Here they are the ABCs of trauma. One, A, you need to make sure that they have a clear and unobstructed airway. That's first and foremost, no matter what happens next, if they don't have an airway, they're not gonna make it. Number two, B, you have to make sure that they can breathe on their own. That can be done in a few seconds. The next one, C, takes minutes, can take up to an hour. And the C stands for circulation. And in circulation, what you're looking for is to see, does this person have some pretty severe bleeding? What the ER uh, docs will tell you, what the paramedics will tell you, is there's this golden golden hour of trauma treatment. If somebody's bleeding, severely bleeding, if you don't get that bleeding under control within about an hour, they're not going to make it. I had a chance to put a lot of this into practice on battlefields and in the ER. And when you get to the C of the ABCs of trauma, when you get to circulation and controlling the bleeding, what they'll tell you is you do everything. You pull out all of the stops to stop the bleeding. You apply a pressure dressing. You put um, a hemostat dressing on there. If it comes to it, you put a tourniquet on somebody and do whatever you got to do to stop the bleeding. Because if you don't stop the bleeding, it will cost them their life. Because the pressure from that wound will keep pushing blood out until there's no more blood left to to push out. So the only way to stop that, somebody from dying from literally loss of blood is to put enough pressure on the outside of the wound that it stops what's happening on the inside of the wound. Now, I'm using this as an analogy. We're actually kind of talking physics for just a second today to set up what you're going to hear in the Bible. Because way back in the day, Sir Isaac Newton gave these three laws of motion. And Newton's third law of motion is what we're describing when it comes to trauma. It says that there has to be an equal and opposite force pressing on the force that you're dealing against. Or else that uh, things are going to get out of control. When somebody's bleeding, there has to be enough pressure on the wound to, to slow the bleeding down long enough to get it stitched up or else that person's not gonna make it. Today in the Bible, John describes two people in high-pressure situations, Jesus and Peter. And today, you, can, you see a night and day difference between the way these two people handled the pressure of Jesus's arrest and Jesus' trial here in John chapter 18. I just want to explain to you where I'm going with this whole sermon, so I'll give it to you in one simple statement. When you've been wounded, there needs to be some pressure that helps you deal with that wound. And now I'm not talking about got in a car accident, got a gunshot wound. Now I'm talking about the wounds of life. Anybody in this room ever been wounded by somebody close to you? Anybody in this room ever feel the deep hurt of something that goes on inside your spirit, something that goes on at the emotional or at the psychological level, and it hurts so bad that you're not sure you've got what it takes to stand up against that kind of hurt? What the Bible is going to describe today is how Peter reacts when he's wounded And it looks very different than the way Jesus reacts today when Jesus is wounded. And chances are, everybody in this room looks like one of these two. When the pressure's on and when you're wounded, wounded by your enemies, that hurts. Wounded by your friends and your loved one, those cut a lot deeper. That hurt goes a lot deeper. And those kind of wounds are really, really hard to get over. So we're gonna dig into John chapter 18. This is the part of the book of John where Jesus has just been arrested in the garden and now the trial begins and Peter is part of this description of how this thing starts, John chapter 18. There's a couple of wounds that we're gonna look at today and one of the wounds that we see first is self-inflicted. This is Peter who wounds himself By asking for something that he has no business asking for. And when he gets it, it is not at all what he hoped he was going to get. For some of us out there, this is the moment that you've been praying for. You've been asking God for this relationship, for this job, for this grade at school, for this degree. And when you get it, it totally lets you down. Well, it does worse than let you down. It leaves you hurting because what you were asking for. When you finally got it, it was not at all what you thought it was going to be. Listen to Peter's. Listen to how Peter reacts at the beginning of this trial. We're going to be in John chapter 18. If you got a paper Bible, you can flip open to verse 15. And if you're following along in the mobile app, those sermon notes and the scriptures are right in front of you. So here's how the story begins. Simon Peter was following Jesus as was another disciple. Now, I need to describe this other disciple because he's not named today, but this disciple pretty much wants you to know he's a big shot. He's got some pretty big connections. He's a big deal, and Simon Peter's not. And I'll just tell you, John is talking about himself right now, right? Let me tell you how awesome I am compared to Peter. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. We'll just call him John, the guy who writes this story. And that disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus into the high priest's por- courtyard. But Peter is a loser, and Peter doesn't get to go in. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, you know the one I'm talking about, the one who knew the high priest who was friends with some bigwigs? He went out, and he spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. I want to pause and leave the scriptures on the screen for just a second, and I want to kind of describe best I can what I think is happening with Peter. If you were following last week, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying when the guards come and they arrest him, and Peter's first reaction is to try to handle things on his own. Actually, I think he was trying to protect Jesus. So Peter pulls out a sword while he's in the garden. And Peter starts hacking and slashing, thinking that he's going to be able to rescue Jesus by physical force. And if you were with us last week, you heard Jesus command Peter, put your sword away, Peter. In fact, even heal the ones that Peter wounded with the sword. Because Jesus knew, this is the plan the Father's laid out for me. Peter, I know you don't get it, but this is the plan. Now, if you following this story in the other three gospel accounts of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're going to follow Peter from the first time that he goes into the courtyard to the end. Jesus predicted, Peter, when the pressure's on, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, no way, Jesus, that would never happen. Everybody else, all the rest of these guys might, but I would never do that to you. Well, what John does next is describe the first conversation with Peter, and then John, for whatever reason, pauses. And next Sunday, we'll come back and look at the second and third conversation that Peter has in this courtyard. John gives us an interlude, and the rest of today, we're going to look at Jesus. But for just a second, I'm going to hit this at a run. We're looking at Peter and what happens when Peter goes into that courtyard. Now, listen to me, y'all. Peter really, really wants in. John's already in, and Peter wants in. So somehow John messages, or Peter sends a a message or gets John's attention and says, hey, John, will you pull some strings so that I can get in there with you? Would you look up here for just a second? When Peter gets what he's asking for, it's not at all what he thought he wanted. And at this point, I kind of want to ask Peter, what were you thinking? Why did you want in that courtyard so bad? Were you just being nosy and wanting to know what's going to happen to Jesus next? Did you think that you could follow Jesus and protect Jesus in that courtyard? Because what happens next, Peter, is an absolute disaster. When the pressure's on in that courtyard, you buckle under the pressure. What were you thinking when you asked God to give you the opportunity to go into that courtyard and to see the trial firsthand? And that's where we pick up the story this is a servant girl, no power, no danger to Peter whatsoever. And then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? And listen to Peter's answer. I am not. Say those words out loud. I am not. He said, now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves and Peter was standing with them warming himself. Look, there's a servant girl. She poses no threat to him whatsoever. And when she asks Peter, are you one of Jesus's disciples? Immediately he lies and tries to cover his own skin. Whatever he wanted, or whatever he was looking for to get into that courtyard, he found something very different when he got in there. And my guess is everybody in this room has experienced what Peter went through. Maybe you didn't deny Jesus. Maybe you didn't go through the the failure that Peter did. But is there anybody in this room who asked God for something, and when you got it, you said, whoa, that is not what I thought I was asking for. That ever happened to anybody else in this room? Thank you for the three or four people that that's happened to. Sometimes when you ask God for something, he's going to tell you no. That's not a good thing that you're asking for. It may look good to you, but I know something that you don't know. And if I were to give that thing to you, it would be really, really bad for you. And hearing no from God hurts. But sometimes you're going to ask for something from him, and he's going to say yes. And you're going to get exactly what you asked for. Be careful what you pray for. Because you just might get it. And like Peter, when you get it, it is not at all what you thought you were wanting. Here's what I'm trying to convince you. Your heart, my heart, can be distorted. If it can happen to Peter... It can happen to you. It can happen to me. And if you're not careful, your heart is going to start chasing after it. Ladies, listen to me. You're going to start chasing after a relationship. And when you're in the middle of that relationship, it is not at all what you wanted. Guys, it may be a job. It may be a a degree. It may be a possession. And when you finally get that thing and you thought it was going to fill you up on the inside, it let you down. In fact, it made life worse for you. If you're not careful, I'll do you'll do what Peter just did here. And you'll get exactly what you were praying for. And when you got it, wow, that was a mistake. And I wish I never got entry into that courtyard so I wouldn't have made this epic failure that I make. We're gonna pick up with the rest of the conversation between Peter and the servants in that courtyard next week. But I just wanna warn you, the way that you handle Asking God for something and then getting totally disappointed by what you got from him is to place your heart in God's hands and to say, God, I can't trust my heart. It can be distorted, it can be tempted, it can be led astray. God, I need you to give me what you want and only what you want. And then I need you to give me the kind of heart that is satisfied by what you give me. That wants what you want for me so that when you give me what you want for me, it not only brings glory to you, listen to me y'all, but it is my good and it fills my heart up too. And apparently that's a lesson that Peter hasn't learned yet, but he's about to learn it next week, and he's about to learn it in a very painful way. This wound that Peter didn't have the pressure inside of him, the strength inside of him to stand up to, this wound was totally self-inflicted. What Jesus goes through is no fault of his own. You see, Jesus is now going to stand trial listen to me for the truth and y'all know this the rest of this phrase right the truth the truth hurts sometimes just speaking the truth to family to friends to loved ones it's going to hurt their feelings a little bit sometimes standing up for the truth is going to hurt you Because the truth is inconvenient and the people that you're speaking the truth to don't want to hear it. And that's exactly what happens to Jesus next. So now we're going to take the attention off of Peter and we're going to turn to Jesus. And the rest of this Sunday, we're going to spend looking at how Jesus handles the pressure of this trial. Let's pick up in verse 19 now. The high priest questioned Jesus. Two questions about his disciples and about his teachings. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews gather, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Do you see his answer? He's saying, I have been standing in public and I've been speaking the truth. Why do you question me? Questioning those who said, uh, question those who heard what I said to them. Look, they know what I said. The the high priest, Annas, is asking Jesus a couple of questions. Now, Annas is a direct relative of Caiaphas, and Annas is kind of the high priest in retirement. I want you to think about it like Pope Benedict and Pope Francis. And the first part of the trial is in front of Annas. And Annas asks Jesus two questions. The first question is about his disciples. And basically, he's saying, wait a second, are you really the Messiah? Because the Messiah is the king of Israel. Are you coming to take the throne of Judah? Are you coming to sit on the throne and take over and lead your people? Are you coming to rule over Israel? And actually, the uh, Messiah is bigger than that. He's the king of earth. So are you here to kick out the Roman government? Are you here to show that you're more powerful than the Roman Empire? And basically, he's placing Jesus, he's trying to put Jesus in this impossible situation, impossible to answer. And Jesus' answer is, I haven't hid anything from you. I stand by what I said. And I said it plainly, and I said it in public for you and all of the world to hear. So basically, what Jesus is saying is, I got nothing to hide right now. And their second question is about his teachings. And when they asked him questions about his teachings, this is the crux of the issue. You see, here's what basically Jesus has been saying in public throughout his ministry. The way that some of these religious leaders are doing church is all wrong. And if you follow them, you're following the wrong approach. And this was directly the issue that they were dealing with. Now, it may not feel like it to you. Although Jesus is the Son of God, he is also a human being with all of the temptations and all of the pressures that you and I would be in at this moment, which means Jesus knows his skin is on the line for how you answer this. And his answer is, what I said, I stand by. I said it plainly and I said it publicly, and I mean every word that I said, and if you think I'm going to back down because you're threatening me, you don't understand who's standing in front of you. Now listen, all of us feel the temptation to twist the truth a little bit, to make the people that we love feel a little bit more comfortable when they start to squirm. All of us feel the temptation to omit a couple of inconvenient things in the truth so that it doesn't rub people the wrong way. Listen, just this week, I was wrestling with people that are connected with this church who would really want us to become just a Sunday service that you show up to, you go there for an hour, you leave, and that's all Jesus is asking for you. Christianity is one hour on a Sunday morning, and then you're good. And as much as I really feel the temptation to turn Two Cities Church or following Jesus into one hour on Sunday morning, that's just not what Christianity is all about. That's just not the truth of the gospel. And even this week, there's some people who are struggling with or even leaving Two Cities over the inconvenient truth that what Jesus is calling his people to is every minute of every day of their entire life total surrender. It's not just one hour on Sunday morning. As much as TV preachers and other people in the community like to make Christianity one hour on Sunday morning, it's actually every hour of every day. That's what following Jesus is, and sometimes the truth is going to hurt people around you because it just rubs them the wrong way, but it's even worse when it hurts you for standing up and saying to people what they don't want to hear. And Jesus is on trial right now and they're basically challenging him to back down off of his message. And what he's saying to them is, I spoke it plainly. I spoke it publicly and I will not back down because this is the truth. And the truth can sometimes wound. It can wound the people around you. Sometimes the truth is just going to hurt you. And then it goes for Jesus from bad to worse. Because this trial is a sham. It's a farce. And now you get a chance to see just how much of a sham this trial is. In fact, I'm just going to say these words. The people that conducted this trial were breaking the law to do what they did, which makes them guilty of the law as they tried to use it as a weapon against Jesus. Look at what happens when injury happens because of injustice. When justice isn't justice anymore and people are using the law against you to hurt you like these religious leaders did, against Jesus. John chapter 18, starting in verse 22. When he had said these things, when Jesus had said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus. What did he just say that was so offensive that a guard holding or standing right next to him would haul off and slap Jesus? Well, Jesus was challenging the very basis of this trial. And now he makes it pretty clear. Is this the way you answer the high priest, the official said? Jesus answer, If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence. Say the word evidence out loud. Yeah. Give evidence that, about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? And then Annas, who was at this point bested by Jesus, sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest, the Son of God with all power inside him permits himself to be bound, allows himself to go through this sham of a trial so that this could ultimately accomplish God's plan for him. You see, there's basically two things that are happening right now that John wants you to be very clear about. They're asking Jesus about his teachings. And Jesus said, There are lots and lots of witnesses to what I've said. So if I said something wrong, if I broke the law by what I said, call your witnesses. Oh, you don't have any witnesses? Well, if we don't have any witnesses, then we don't have a trial. But if you're going to go continue through this farce of a trial, through this made-up trial, then now give me your evidence show me, put the evidence on display for everybody to see where, I've, where I'm wrong and what I've done wrong. If you have no evidence and if you have no witnesses, then you have no trial. Why are we going through this injustice? And it goes from bad to worse for Jesus because at first he's just being accused and now it goes to being bound and abused. The guard that's next to him abuses Jesus, and starts to slap Jesus around. And this is nothing compared to what John is going to describe Jesus going through next. And I cannot help but think, I'm not a vindicted man, but I cannot help but wonder, what did that guard? What did those religious leaders think? What was the look on their face when they died and stood in front of the king of the universe at the judgment seat of God and recognized him face to face, the one that was standing in their midst, that they're condemning and they're abusing because his message is offensive to them. And he's saying, the way that you're doing church is all wrong. You see, following Jesus, following God is all about a heart radically surrendered And you're turning it into just a simple couple of commandments and showing up at the temple or going to a church service for an hour on a Sunday morning. If I have broken the religious law, call your witnesses. If I've done something that is illegal, then present your evidence. Oh, you don't have any witnesses? You don't have any evidence? You don't really have a trial. And now the very ones that are prosecuting this trial are guilty of breaking the law that they're accusing Jesus of. But there's something strong enough inside Jesus that he can handle the pressure when it comes that way. Peter, arguably the boldest and the strongest of the disciples, when the pressure's on Peter, he buckles under the pressure because he doesn't have inside of him, at least not yet, what's inside Jesus. See this bar of gold? that I put on the screens. I don't think it's a real bar of gold. Somebody took a picture of that. You know, if they had that sitting around their house, it would be crazy expensive. So it's a picture of what somebody thinks a bar of gold looks like. Gold is pure. Gold is precious. Because it's so rare, it's extremely valuable. I mean, people don't have a a bunch of gold hanging around in their pockets. They put it in the bank, or they sell it on a commodities market because it's so rare and it's so valuable. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know already, but gold is also, listen to this word, absolutely useless without something else inside it. You can't make jewelry, you can't gild something with gold unless there's something else inside that gold that makes it strong enough to handle the pressure. That's why we have measurement for how pure the gold is, for how much aloe or alloy there is in the gold. Because if you don't put something else in that gold, it's still pure, it's still precious, but it's useless to you. Unless you have something inside of there that makes it strong enough to handle the pressure of turning it into a ring or into a chain or into something beautiful and something treasured in your house. And I thought about gold as I was figuring out how to wrap this sermon up because when God originally created our parents, Adam and Eve in the garden, he made them pure. He made them perfect. He made them priceless. And then temptation came and Adam and Eve buckled under the pressure And they gave in to that temptation. And before you sit there and start condemning and pointing the finger at Adam and Eve, let me remind you, every human being alive, you get to the age of being old enough to understand right and wrong, and you're going to do something wrong just like they did. You're going to not do something that you know to be right. All of us have followed in their footsteps, every single one of us, because without something inside of us, giving the strength to handle the pressure outside of us, We're gonna react just like Peter. We're gonna react just like Adam and Eve. We're gonna mess up and we're gonna let ourselves, our family, our friends, we're gonna let God down too. So what I wanna do is pray for us in just a second. Now I really think there's two groups of people that I wanna pray for this morning. The first group of people is somebody in this room who is going through the pressure right now. You're feeling it and it hurts really bad, and you're wondering, do I have what it takes to handle what life is throwing at you, or it's coming this week, and you're not sure you've got what it takes to handle it, I'm gonna pray in just a second that God would meet you right here, right where you're at, and He would give you the power of His Holy Spirit. You don't do this on your own. In fact, God is glorified in your weakness by making you strong with his Holy Spirit, when you are at your weakest moments. I'm going to pray for somebody who's going through it right now, that the spirit of the living God will give you the strength that you need to handle the pressure that you're going through. But there's a second group of people. Maybe you're in this room and this is you. You're the person that is crazy enough to think, oh, I've got what it takes all on my own to handle whatever this week throws at me. You, whether you even know it or not, are heading down the same road that Peter did. And come back and be with us next week, and you will see just how cataclysmic this failure is when Peter goes into these circumstances thinking that he can handle it all on his own. You see, you and I, all of us on this, uh, that's listening today, all of us need God's help. Second thing on the screens, to stand firm when the pressure gets high around us. And the worst thing that you could do is believe that you're strong enough, you've got what it takes all on your own to handle it by yourself. But maybe there's somebody in this room who's realizing Jesus didn't have to go through that suffering, he didn't have to go through that trial, he didn't have to go to the cross, he was pure, he was sinless, he was perfect, he didn't deserve what he went through but he did it for me. He did it so that he could take control of my heart so that I could become a new person and I need him to move in and to take over because I'm a mess and without him, I've got no hope. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.